0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to New Books in Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast. I'm your host Crawford Gribbon and today my guest is Corey C. Brock. Corey is an assistant pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi, but he also spends time as lecturer in Christian thought at Bellhaven University and as adjunct, in theology at Reformed Theological Seminary, also in Jackson, Corey. We're talking about your new book today, Orthodox Yet Modern: Herman Bavinck's Use of Friedrich Schleiermacher, just published by Lexham Press. Congratulations on your book and welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Crawford. Really, really glad to be here.
1: Well, before we begin talking about this new book on Herman Bavinck and his reading of Schleiermacher, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, please?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm a Mississippi native. I grew up here and I'm back here again. And in between, I've done uh, degrees at a public university here in Mississippi and then went to seminary to study to be a minister. And after I finished that, um, my family and I, my wife, and we had one child at the time, we moved to Edinburgh, Scotland, and just had a wonderful time studying at New College Edinburgh, the Divinity School there in the capital city. And I pastored as well while I was over there doing my PhD, uh, at a church called St. Columbus Free Church of Scotland. And we had a, a really sweet, sweet experience with that. And, um, since then we've moved back to, to Mississippi and pastoring and teaching. And have got, I've got four children and, and a wife named Heather from Tennessee. And, uh, yeah, our, our time working on my time working on this project was, was made all the more sweet just by getting to be uh, in Edinburgh and, and under and working with uh, James Eglinton there at New College and, and the fellow um, students there. so
1: yeah, That's great. Um, now, tell us a little bit more about the background to this book. It, it comes out of your PhD studies, doesn't it? And you mentioned at the start of the book your participation in what you call an Anglophone Bavink school at Edinburgh under James Eglinton's oversight. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, please, Corey?
0: Yeah I think that when the Bobbing's Reform dogmatics was translated in the early parts of uh, of the first decade of uh, the 2000s up to 2008. And when that happened, you saw a very sudden wide Anglophone readership of Bobbink emerge. And you know if you look at the seminary textbooks across uh, the US reformed seminaries, the Reformed dogmatics very quickly became the standard. and, and that's what it was for me. I read Bob Inc, uh, at RTS in Jackson where, where I studied to, to become a minister and, uh, I was struck, you know, I was, I was in some ways overwhelmed by, um, its breadth and insight and relevance for today. And when I got to Edinburgh, I, I, I didn't know exactly what I was going to work on, but Dutch Reformed theology was the area that I was most interested in. And at, at the same time that I arrived, James Eglinton was Eglinton was hired by uh, new college. And uh, it was just a sweet providence that he he got there. And I found out that his expertise was in Bavik and Dutch, the modern Dutch theology in particular. And he had lectured and spent time in the Netherlands and and. Uh, It it, it was just a real, it worked very well and all of a sudden James started to gather students and, uh, just a major focus on, on Bob Inc has emerged at New College in in Edinburgh and, um, student after student is, is going through there and, and writing lots of different pieces on Bob Inc and that's coincided with, with the explosion of the Bob Inc readership across the world really. Uh, we see a massive, uh, growth and, and bobbing readership in, in Korea and in Brazil other parts of, of South America of, of course in South Africa and Australia uh, and in the US and Europe all those places have have now become uh, countries nations that have almost bobbing centers places where there are, are students gathering to read bobbing and we feel like Edinburgh for whatever reason in history has become a center for uh, that explosion, is particularly particularly in the Anglophone world. and So it was really sweet to get to walk alongside a number of other students in the beginnings of that while I was there, and, and it carries on. I mean, it's not going to stop, I don't think, anytime soon.
1: That's great. That sounds fascinating. It must have been a really rich experience to, to see these ideas begin to form. But tell us, first of all, who is Herman Bavink and why does he matter so much?
0: Yeah, uh, well, Herman Bavinck is uh, was a Dutch theologian, and he was born in 1854. He dies in 1921, and because of those dates, he really lives through a tumultuous tumultuous period, a time where the ground is kind of moving beneath his feet. The po- an industrialized age. It, you know, he's born just six years after the Spring of Nations, uh, the, the revolutions that happened a- across the European continent. And so he's got the Enlightenment, the French Revolution, the Spring of Nations all at his back as the context for his young, young days. And he's also got uh, the Free Church movement uh, that he's born into. He's a son of a, a secessionist church movement that's, you know, similar to what you would see in the Free Church of Scotland or something like that. Um, it, it happened in the Netherlands in 1834 and, uh, At that time, they were fighting, they were grasping in some ways for recognition as a legitimate reformed church within the Netherlands, distinct from the state church. And uh, Bobbing was born into a time of of deep change. And, you know, on the intellectual side of that, you had just the post-Kantian philosophical movements and Schleiermacher, Hegel, Fichte later in Rischel. And others, and then into the 20th century, Bobbing, you know, lives, the height of his career is across the turn of the 20th century and, uh, times were changing. He lives through the World War One, And so in some sense, Bobbing, uh, is a, is so significant as a theologian because he became a theologian well known for wrestling with what modernity means for the church. And that's one of his, uh, most important contributions, I think to the church today and to Christian theology today. So, um, yeah, that's a basic overview. Um, anything else that, that you would think was relevant? or
1: Yeah, so you, your title, Orthodox Yet Modern, is is a fascinating title because it combines two terms in Bavinck studies that are often thought to be separate and oppositional. And one of the things you argue in the book is that, that he is both orthodox and modern, that any tension between these cultural moods um, has to be rethought. Could you expand a little bit more on your choice of title, Orthodoxy at Modern? In what ways did Bavink successfully navigate orthodoxy and modernity?
0: Yeah, well, when we say orthodoxy, uh, orthodoxy in this context refers, of course, to uh, the ecumenical Christian tradition. You know, an appropriation, a confirmation of the patristic. Creeds and then the Reformation Protestant confessions, so that's what Bavin has in mind. Particularly for him, it's the three forms of unity, um, the Dutch, which the Dutch subscribed to for, for a number of centuries after the Reformation. And so what he's wrestling with is the fact that uh, modernity is comes in all sorts of ways, shapes, and forms. There's social modernity, uh, but but what he's really talking about is theological modernity. Quite often, and he understands theological modernity to be theology that's after the Enlightenment, but more particularly after Immanuel Kant. And he, he understood well that Kant and Kant, Immanuel Kant's very important philosophy, his magisterial work in philosophy, he separated faith from knowledge. And so, in other words, Uh, theologians prior to Kant wanted to think of the science, the work of Christian theology of dogmatics as a work of knowing God, a work of, a work of science where God is the object of study and we study God through God's revelation. And, but that, that's truly knowledge. It's knowledge, uh, in a similar way that knowing anything out in front of you in your daily experience would be knowledge. Kant separated very sharply. Um, faith and the possibility of theology from knowledge and said so that theology doesn't need to be talked about in terms of knowing, but only believing. And, you know, that's an oversimplification of Kant's project, to be sure. But uh, the, the fallout from that is that you had a 19th century Theological movement that followed on from, from Kant's work and a number of theologians, particularly in what we call the mediation theological tradition that we see in Germany. We also see it in the Netherlands. We're working to try to, to rebuild a foundation for theology that could make sense of the gravity of, of Christian doctrine and some located that foundation in ethics, some located it in separating the the Christ of history from the Christ of faith, um, some located it in the feeling of absolute de- dependence and, and, and assessing theological doctrine from the perspective of uh, sociology and anthropology, looking at what people have believed throughout the centuries, and so in this period you get this sharp dichotomy between developing between religious studies on the one hand and and theology on the other. And a lot of universities moving into a time where they would focus a lot more on studying religion sociologically, studying religion through the work of anthropology uh, and history, rather than confessing the faith as faith knowledge, abandoning the project of faith-seeking understanding. And so that's really the background in, in this work. Bob wrestled with all sorts of other modernities. You know, he wanted to uh, – he appreciated very much and wanted to promote a uh, classical liberal – uh, a classical liberalism, a classical liberal understanding of the political order, for instance, that was relatively fresh for his time in the 19th century. But in, when it comes to theology, he was really working – uh, with the issue of the modernization of theology to the point of undermining theology as knowledge. And uh, that that's the key issue that's at the background of this whole discussion.
1: Mm. Now, why, if he grew up in a secessionist, highly orthodox, confessional church context, why did he find himself drawn to Schleiermacher?
0: Bobink uh, had an interesting... Childhood and interesting background. His, his father was a, a fairly, uh, wide reader. His father, Jan, was a pastor as well. And, um, we have evidence, uh, very, uh, clear in Jan's own writings of his reading of Schleiermacher and Hegel and, and Kant and these other Germans that were just very important for the universities and the academy at the time. And Bobbing had a, a stellar education, so he was steeped From very early in in multiple languages, in Greek, Latin, Hebrew. Um, And he had a scientific mind. He wanted to know, he wanted to, he wanted to know what people thought beyond his own um, secessionist environment. And, you know, the secessionist environment even was quite diverse. I mean, there was, even though it was a secessionist free church that had separated from the state and was known for, you know, really being a bastion of, class classic Reformed Dutch Orthodoxy. At the same time, uh there were there was a growing pool of of, uh, of of important scholars within that world and Bobbing wanted to be one of those. He very importantly he he left the secessionist school what would be an undergraduate for us today in Campen after just one year and moved to Leiden University. And he said he wanted to do that, to go to the most important University and get a scientific education to, to step outside of his comfort zone and, and seek to know in a, in a broader way. And so he had always been really interested in, in scholarship at the highest level. And he knew uh, because it was the era of the time that Kant, Schleiermacher, Hegel – were all incredibly important figures, uh, and and that was a growing reality in the Netherlands of the second half of the 19th century. And so when he got to Leiden, he he read these these men, he read these theologians and philosophers, and he ended up, up even writing um, some significant papers at Leiden on Schleiermacher. He, it, some of these were given to him as assignments, one of them was to, to investigate Schleiermacher's use of scripture in the Christian faith, for example. And so he he comes out of that doc, eventually that doctorate and had interacted with Schleiermacher quite a bit. And, you know, Schleiermacher was the most important theologian of Europe at the time. And um, there was, you know, uh, we talk about mediation theology in Germany that follows on after Schleiermacher. Well, the same thing happened in the Netherlands. There was this uprising of what was called a mediation theology in the Netherlands, and uh, it, it largely depended upon Schleiermacher's work. And so if you were going to be a serious uh, theologian and a serious scholar, one had to interact with the father of liber- liberal Protestantism because he was such an important figure. For Germany and the Netherlands at the, at the time. And so, it, you know, Bobbing was, was becoming part of the conversation in his inter- interaction. But, you know, there was something more than that. And, and that was that Bobbing actually saw in Schleiermacher something he, he, uh, he wanted to appropriate. He saw in Schleiermacher something to learn. And, uh, that, that was what made Bobbing so unique in his context is that while maintaining steadfast, uh, Confessional confession to the three forms of unity, to the boundaries of Dutch Reformed theology, and to historic classical Christian theology. Um, Bobbing was resolute in that he never he never wavered really in, in that reality. At the same time, he was very willing to search for truth anywhere he could find it, and he was very willing to appropriate philosophies and Theological insights from anyone, even if he fundamentally disagreed with their theological method and their material word, their material theology. And that's the type of relationship that he had with Schleiermacher.
1: Now, having read and thought about his engagement with Schleiermacher, how, how accurate do you think Bavinck's reading of his work was?
0: Yeah, there is certainly... Moments here and there that a contemporary Schleiermacher scholar would, would question some of Bobbing's readings. But overall, what we see in Bobbing, and this is his norm, is that Bobbing is such an important theologian for one reason because he was so fair to everyone that he engaged in. And he, he had a spirit of wanting to really steal man uh instead of straw man, each of the people that he interacted with as he tried to learn from them. And for that reason, we have evidence of of reading Schleiermacher's most obscure text. I mean, some that, you know, really very few people will ever open. And because of that, Bobink understood Schleiermacher's philosophy really well, which is an important aspect of understanding Schleiermacher and the background to some of the more popular thoughts that Schleiermacher had, particularly the beginnings of the Christian faith, ideas like the feeling of absolute dependence and immediate self-consciousness and the unity of self and, and things like that. Uh, those were those all fell in their background in prior writings of Schleiermacher. And uh Bobby read those and he under he understood those and he interacted with those. And that was his spirit. It was to, to be congenial, to steal man. Other people's writings. And so, you know, what I I would go as far as to say that Bavink is one of the most important, if not the most important reformed theologian of modernity thus far. And one of, one, one of the many reasons for that is because of his example and how he interacted with his interlocutors, even when he radically disagreed with them. He was not polemical to the point of, of being difficult, of of building straw men. He really teaches us today of uh, how to do, how a Christian ought to be writing theology and the way they interact with those they uh, disagree with and agree with. And and that's how he treated Schleiermacher.
1: So what did he do with Schleiermacher, appropriating him as he did? How did he critically engage him and to what purposes did he put him?
0: Yeah, so um, in the past when people have, have noticed before that Bavink has an unusual amount of citations with regard to Schleiermacher and a usual amount of interaction with him, they've often only seen that as Bavink trying to undermine what was the most important uh, liberal Protestant voice of the day. And when you read Bavink carefully, what you find out is not only a surprising level of interaction with Schleiermacher throughout the whole of his corpus, but also uh, a number of moments of very clear appropriation and appreciation of Schleiermacher. And, you know, d- just to be clear, what is not being said is that Bobbink fundamentally agrees with with Schleiermacher's theological method, with with most, he, he disagrees with most of Schleiermacher's material dogmatics. You know, when you read through the Christian faith, Bob has strong disagreements with, with with the majority of it. What he learned and appropriated from Schleiermacher was particularly what Schleiermacher did at the very beginning of the Christian faith, and that was to speak about the feeling of absolute dependence and. Bavinck thought that the feeling of absolute dependence that he read in Schlamacher was actually a way of modernizing and updating what he read at the beginning of Calvin's Institutes. When Calvin speaks of the knowledge of self and the knowledge of God as being incredibly intimate and important, that that is the, really the beginning of our understanding of God is knowing ourselves. And in knowing God, we know ourselves. And in knowing ourselves, we know God. And he turned to Schleiermacher and saw that Schleiermacher was actually thinking through Calvin and Augustine as well when he talks about this universal feeling, this immediate self-consciousness of, of absolute dependence on some holy other. And it was particularly that that Bovin wanted to appropriate, and I guess if I could just flesh that that idea out a little bit. Um, what Bovin understood with Schleiermacher was that when we are born, when we as human beings come in, into the world, even from the earliest moments, we we feel a relative dependence upon other people other creatures upon all sorts of things in the world outside of us you know uh nt wright in one place talks about how even when a baby is born they have some sense of dependence uh when they immediately come to to mother's breast and even, even prior to the emergence of consciousness and self-consciousness, I should say, in that baby, there is a sense of dependence of, of knowing that I need someone else outside of me, that I am not enough to exist upon my, I'm contingent. I'm, I'm not absolute. Well, Schleiermacher basically argued that that feeling of relative dependence that arises in us when we interact with the world gives way To a feeling collectively of absolute dependence upon something that is beyond contingency, upon some absolute, upon, upon a being in which we have no direct vision of, no direct, there's no direct object in this idea of, of this feeling. There's an immediate, um, an immediate self-consciousness we all have that I am an I, that I am an ego, that I am a self. And alongside that, I know that myself did not originate with me. And so with that, we have this correlative idea, along with our dependence in the, upon the world outside of us, of an absolute dependence upon which both our self, our consciousness, and the world outside of us all depends absolutely. And for, for Schleiermacher, that feeling, uh, Get, gives rise to the concept of god and and what bobby thought was that actually this is very similar to what calvin's saying in book one of the institute's and if we flesh this out into dogmatic language really what this is is a way of talking about the subjective aspect of the doctrine of general revelation you know, We we believe that god that god reveals his own self to the world he comes out of his Hiddenness in both general and special ways. Special ways include his revelation to Israel, his inscripturated revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the climax of all revelation, but also in general ways. And what Bobbing wanted to say is that before, before we think about general revelation as, as objective Creation as looking up at the stars and, and understanding that there's a designer that God created the world. He wanted to, he, he thought that Schleiermacher's grammar introduced a modern way of speaking about this subjective, immediate work of God in the self where God gives consciousness to each individual. And in that God reveals himself to our own selves. And the way that revelation manifests. Is through this feeling of dependence and absolute dependence on something that we cannot see, on something that isn't contingent, that can't be contingent on something that must be absolute. You know, and he's even willing to take this all the way to saying that this feeling of absolute dependence, which is dependent upon God's revelation to each one of us is the ground of religion itself is the foundation of religion itself the reason that world religions exist that religion is universal that there will never be a people without religion is because god's immediate revelation to the self in self-consciousness of absolute dependence upon a holy other that's the beginning point really the foundation of religion of feel of feeling that we must depend on something outside of this world and so bobbing saw is really philosophy, and that's more philosophy than it is dogmatics, as an appropriate way of modernizing an older way of talking about general revelation.
1: That's fascinating, Corey. Um, we've taken up a lot of your time today as we've been talking about your new book, Orthodox Yet Modern, Hermann Bavinck's Use of Friedrich Schleiermacher. But before we wind up our conversation, could you tell us what you plan to publish next?
0: Yeah, thanks. I um I'm working on right now on a book that that's due sooner sooner than I'd like it to be. Uh and the title is Neo Calvinism a theological introduction. And Grace Sutanto and I are both working on this book together and uh this will be a really answering the question what is neo, what is new about Dutch Calvinism in the 19th and early 20th century, particularly in the figures Kuyper and Boving. So what are Kuyper and Boving both doing that makes this brand of Calvinism new? Uh, and the answer to that is in their reaction and relationship to the modern world. And it's what makes them so relevant for us today. It's what makes reading them so important, uh, even today in, in 20... 20. And so what we're trying to do in each of those chapters, looking at the different loci of dogmatics of Christian theology is really nail down the distinctiveness of how they appropriated Protestant and particularly Calvinistic theology for the modern world and, and what, what fresh and creative things they did with each of those theological ideas. And so we're hopefully aiming to, to have this book out sometime in, in 20, 21, late 2021 and a couple other things that are, are happening right now are just a, a couple of translation projects, particularly in Bob Inc., that you'll see Lord willing come out in 2021 and, and perhaps 2022. And as we try to carry on this, this work of getting these original primary uh, texts from, from 19th and early 20th century Dutch theology out, out for the Anglophone public.
1: Last- that sounds like a set of really important projects. Corey, I look forward to maybe having a chance to chat about some of those with you again in the future. But for now, thank you for writing this book, Orthodox Yet Modern, Hermann Bavinck's Use of Friedrich Schleiermacher, just published by Lexham Press. And thanks for taking the time to come on to the show to talk about it.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for your time and take care. And thanks to everyone else for listening in today. I'll see you next time on New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast. Thank you.